Welcome to the Smallholder Food Business Development Institute podcast, episode number 91. And today I am bringing you my interview with Matt Kuchera of Vet Pivot. So, all you veterans, tune in. And everybody else, this is an awesome podcast about being in business and staying in business and understanding uh, who you really are in your own business. So, Welcome to the Smallholder Food Development Institute podcast, where we serve up truth so that you can build the profitable, sustainable food business you've always dreamed of. Now here's your host, Dr. Michelle Fannin-Steele. Hello and welcome, everybody. I am so excited to introduce Matt Kuchera of the Vet Pivot podcast. And he is here today and he's going to be talking about all sorts of good sorts of business topics. And so, Matt, why don't you introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself, and let's do it. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, the name is Matt. Kuchera, I am an Air Force veteran, 12 and a half years Air Force. I joined when I was a young man uh, who had been chewed up and spit out by life. College dropout, went, uh, decided that the military is going to give me some discipline, and it did. Uh, I took that discipline and ran with it as an opportunity to change the direction of my life, which also happened. And as a result, the Air Force has given me things that I never thought that I was uh, deserving of or thought that I could achieve. I'll give you an example. Uh, I was not the best student in high school. I was much more concerned with, with friends and sports and, and my social life was, and athletic pursuits were much more important to me. I somehow got into college. I'm going to say it's because I could throw a baseball very hard. Uh, but when that fell through because I got hurt, I then realized that I don't want to be in school. I'm not ready for it. So I dropped out and uh, I, I worked odd jobs, a lot of sales positions, retail positions, and finally found myself couch surfing and sleeping in my car for a couple months. And uh, I walked into a recruiting station and, and I said, hey, I need a job. Happened to be the Air Force. It could have been anyone at that point in time. I really was not you know, it's not like I was super partial. I wasn't very in touch with my military heritage uh, as far as my family, even though it does go uh, very far back. I, I just, I wasn't aware, not something I ever knew about. So I did my own research later after joining. So it's, uh, it, it was, it was an interesting thing. Within two weeks, I was stepping off a bus in San Antonio, Texas, uh, so that's, you know, for some people, they have this long journey to get into the military and they're in the delayed enlistment program. I went in, <laughs> I went into the recruiting station and on Valentine's day, which was two weeks later, I was at basic training. So it, it did Aww. not take me very long to get into the military. And from there, uh, I was appreciative of the bed, the roof over my head, the paychecks, the, uh, you know, the medical benefits, the, the, uh, the three warm meals um, didn't really care that someone was yelling at me because to me, I needed that. Uh, so there was a lot that went into it. Uh, and, and I had a lot of good mentors in my, in my military career that led to um, you know, me pursuing uh, my bachelor's degree was first, obviously. And then uh, you know, along that pursuit, we had this thing called the Community College of the Air Force. So I got two 
uh, associate's degrees through them. I got my master's degree from Purdue University. And while I was getting my master's, I did my executive education at MIT over there in, uh, in Boston. So um, yeah, it's, it's when I say I never thought in a million years that I would ever, you know, here's this, this, you know, C student from high school, college dropout who then eventually got education from, from Purdue and from MIT. That's, it's, it's strange to me to even say it out loud now, but, um, you know, in, in two years, I'll be done with my doctorate in technology from Purdue. So boiler up. And uh, now I work in uh, the finance industry after a successful 12 and a half year military career. That's me in a nutshell. I think I rambled on for a long time. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's completely fascinating. And you said something that I really, that I don't, I don't even know if you, you recognize that you said it, but about what you were deserving of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I struggle with that a lot. Uh, even today, I think, you know, veterans, we have a hard time assigning value to ourselves. Uh, you know, that's in the, the closer you are to your service uh, or, you know, how long ago you were in, the more so it's there. And as you kind of, you know, sink your teeth into civilian life again, uh, you start to re you know, reevaluate and realize, okay, I do have this value outside of, you know, am I, am I an E5, am I an O4, you know, that's our value in the military is placed so much in our rank and our, our, our pay grade. And that's because it, it dictates what role you serve and, you know, how many people you lead and at what capacity you lead those folks and, you know, what you make, uh, you know, all of that is contingent upon these, <laughs> this rank and this, this letter number assignment that you're, you're given, um, when you get out of the military, you kind of determine that on your, you know, on your own, you know, it's how mm -hmm. hard you work. It's how hard you work to align your goals to what you wanted to do when you got out and you get to set your own value in that sense. You know, it's, it's very cool, um, to get back to, learning more about yourself and what you're worth. That's pretty fascinating because you may not, you may not know this, but um, Escoffier, who was um, the guy who essentially encyclopedized French cooking, yeah. um, invented the brigade system in a kitchen. Ooh. <laughs> very popular isn't it <laughs> right and so and he took it he took i mean you know like the brigade system came out of the napoleonic napoleonic armies and um the and i think that there's a lot of how people in food define themselves yeah. you know um and what they are and what they're doing and what they're what they're able to do based on like literally where they may be standing right. during service <laughs> much the same way that we have in the military you That's know right. i mean i'm very defined by the fact that i was an uh, you know like an o3 um, yeah yeah you know it's it's tough because i think that there's this uh you know limiting factor that you place on someone's ability to contribute to the mission. Mm -hmm. uh, so when I, even when I got into higher positions of, of leadership, I, 
I took that as an opportunity to empower the people that worked for me and to see what they brought to the table. You know, at that time, when you step in, the moment you move on from, I would say, junior enlisted uh, and step out of that leadership or step out of that, you know, kind of, I'm just here to do a job type mentality. And you, you know, at least on the enlisted side, you, you move into an NCO position where you're leading people. It's, it's no longer about you. That's always been the message that I've heard throughout my entire military career. It's no longer about you. It's now about those you lead. So the moment I was able to do that, it became, okay, well, how can I empower you? How can I, you know, remove impediments and blockers that are standing in the way of you being able to be more successful? You know, how can I get you the resources you need to do your job? Um, and, and that then became and kind of set the tone for business and why I like it so much is because when you're in that leadership role, now it becomes about relationship management. So now here I am trying to support and help out my subordinates, the people that are working for me so that they can do a great job and get recognized for that. And I'm working on my relationships with my senior leadership on how can I get more resources? How can I get more time on a, on a project? If I need that, you know, Hey, you know, what's, what's plan B if, if we can't do plan A and how can I shield them and protect the people that work for me uh, from, from the wrath of leadership? If, if we are running a little bit behind, right? So uh, there's all these, all these things to do. And I really got fascinated by this relationship management and how that relates into project and program management and, that kind of started the course for me on what I wanted to do uh, at post-service. So that's, you know, that's kind of what I do now is I'm IT portfolio management. So it's a lot of fun. <laughs> that's super interesting about what you said about relationship management and product. And uh, I think you said process management, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you're managing processes, products, people, all the, all the P's, projects, the P's, programs. Right? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And so fascinatingly enough, when I talk to people <laughs> about getting their food safety systems, their compliance, all of that sort of stuff, it's all about creating functional systems that the people can actually use. Yeah, yeah. So how do you, when you're working with people, do you map those? I, one of the more fascinating courses I had in my graduate studies was a course on process uh, process management and mapping mm -hmm. DPM, DPMN, DPMN uh, language, right? Process modeling language. So I, that was always really interesting to me to learn uh, how to use a program, say like Visio, to draw right. a, a process map and the different layers of that uh, and, and what that looks like. So um, I've brought some of that into my current role, where I'm, you know, I'm drawing the the parent map and then, right. uh, you know, getting into the collapsed sub processes and then blowing those out into other, pro you know, so getting really organized with how we do things. Uh, and it took me a while to, to do that because I wanted to step back and kind of watch how we were doing things mm -hmm. and then create new efficiencies based on that. So more of like a business analysis role. That's actually exactly what uh, we do. And a lot of what I help my clients do. Right. Um, it's very formalized um, and it is, um, 
it's based off of failure mode effect analysis from engineering. Uh, okay, right. so the whole, it's called HACCP, Hazard Analysis for Critical Control Points, right? And I think a lot of, it's super interesting we're having this conversation because I think a lot of my listeners are not 100% sure what HACCP really actually is. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so what's really, what's really interesting is that HACCP came to us from NASA yeah. Um, when we were putting rockets into space, right? Because the idea is, is that you really kind of can't do finished product testing in rocketry. Right. Because people die. People die. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So that. let's not do it that way, right? Um, right. And, then, and, and it's been refined and there are all sorts of ways that we do it, but there, and I covered not too long ago on the podcast, the process flow diagramming. And, and what it allows us to do is show the stepwise process of receive stuff, store stuff, whatever it is that you do to it, whatever, right. you know, package and label it, finish product storage, get it the heck out of here. Yeah. And creating those efficiencies, because the question we're always asking is, how is what you are doing creating value for your customer? Right. Yeah. Right? I mean, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about, right? I mean, you're in business. Businesses are in business to create value for the customer to right. solve to solve a problem right just, and so once you figure out how to solve that problem then it becomes about how can i deliver that more efficiently more effectively and with greater quality to my customer so that you know i think toyota is a great company to to learn from in that sense in how they continuously try to process improve and it becomes part of the culture if you're a company right now that is really caught up in your processes, I think like we were talking beforehand, but not really focusing on how those processes feed into the end result, which mm -hmm. is the product in the customer's hand, then you're missing the point of why you're in business. You've, you've strayed from the path of uh, success for a company and you're, you know, what you're doing is you're actually siphoning away from your revenue stream. That's, right. that's dangerous. Uh, that's, that spells death for any, uh, for any business if they do that long enough. So let me ask you a question. Cause I think my customers come up with this and I know my podcast listeners come up with this is the difference between being customer responsive. Yeah. Right. And flexible to what your customers need and trying to be all things to all people. Right. Yeah, you can't be, so you can't be all things to all people. That's for sure. You have to be on message and you really should write down. I had a, a, a great mentor that taught me this recently is, you know, and, and pertaining to vet pivot, which is my business. Um, you should know your, your customer stories. And at the, at the very minimum, you should know your, there are four basic customer stories, right? You have, you have your customer that is never, ever going to be a loyal customer. They just will not. They, you may have some, they may have somehow stumbled upon your business. They may have shown up. It, they're never sticking around. It just, you can go to your blue in the face. They're probably not going to stick around. And so why waste time? trying to market to or cater to that person? Why spend energy on trying to get them converted to a loyal customer when they're never gonna be one? On the opposite end of that spectrum, 
you have your your devout followers, you know, the people that are always going to come back for more because they love your brand, they love what you do, they are a loyal customer through and through, and you know they're they're all about your company. So they don't require as much attention either. It's really the people in the middle. So you have the people in the middle who are, you know, they're very interested by what you have, but they're not quite sold on whether or not they should be loyal to you. That's really the person you need to focus on. And then the ones that are in and, and are going to be a repeat customer, their big focus is going to be quality. Whereas the, the, the one prior to that, that I was just talking about, their focus can be value. What's the value add, right? The third right. one's going to be quality. How can I, how can I continue to get the quality that I've come to expect? That's going to make me a, a devout follower of the brand. So those two in the middle are the ones where you want to spend the majority of your time for your company so that you can convert them into and lead them down the path of Hey, this is why you should always come to my company. This is this is what we have to offer. And as you can see, there's a value add. As you can see, there's uh, you know you're getting good quality. And now, over time, if we're delivering on value add and quality, you're going to be you're going to be left with no choice but to continue to come back because that's what we deliver on time and time and again. And mm -hmm. you're silly to go looking for something else. I think that's super, I think that's really super fascinating because there's so much of the story of sustainable food um, that is uh, about the quality, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, yep. that's that's why people go and buy from their local farm store. Is, and, and even now, it's like human safety. Yeah. yeah. They don't want to yeah. go to the grocery store. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, people... So, so in that industry, I would imagine quality is king even more so, right? So mm -hmm. it may be the other way around. So we're delivering quality and because we're delivering quality to so many people and we focused on the quality and word of mouth advertising is spreading and people are starting to understand, hey, this is a company that's built a foundation of quality and trust in the product it allows you to scale, which then adds more value to the customer because you can now, uh, you know, get reduced costs on on your 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 goods that you are then passing on to the customer. I would imagine there's savings in scale, right? So um, it may be flipped in that instance in that industry. That's so I just wrote, so I just, I'm taking notes because I, yeah. you know, I, that's one of the reasons I love doing podcast interviews is because I always learn so much, right, right. you know, <laughs> that's no a hundred percent. And I always tell the, you know, my audience uh, for vet pivot, like, you know, hopefully you got as much out of this as I did because I, you know, I do, I have, I have a notebook, you know, that's, that's full of pages and notes. I get to talk to people that are interesting and have experiences that are beyond what I have. And, Right. Through those conversations, I become, you know, I get a broader perspective and it makes me a, a more well-rounded, I guess, conversationalist. If not <laughs> well, and it builds like learning how to have those conversations. And this actually feeds into the next question, like learning how to have those conversations and creating trust and credibility with people like yeah. that is for a lot of local food, their quality story that then right. brings people in the door, but it's making that repeatable and scalable. Yeah. 
that's what they have such a tough time with. Um, so we're we talking like grocers or are we talking about um, distribution centers? What, uh, what's the... Um, so not really distribution centers, um, people who are running markets. So small local independent sure. grocers. So not Kroger, right? right not your big guys, right? No. Kroger, and Wegmans, yeah. Those guys, I mean, they have it pretty figured out. It's the people who are, who want to supply Wegmans. It's the people who want to supply Whole Foods. I see, okay. Where so they've created this beautiful brand story. And then all of a sudden the local buyer from Wegmans comes in and says, okay, hey, we want to buy your peanut butter, your pork chops, your whatever. Right. Um, we'll send a 53 foot truck. And you're like, okay, so I made a thousand pounds last month. <laughs> yeah, 53 foot truck, a little bit different scale, right? Right. Um, <laughs> Right. And, and I'm sure that there's pressure to fill that order uh, there where quality can then take a hit because you're maybe bypassing, skipping or overlooking some quality steps that you have for the sake of time and filling an order of that size that maybe you're not used to filling. But what that does is it alienates you from your brand and what you built that on. Your brand should always be built on quality first. It should always be built on creating a good product not a you know hey we can get it done fast product right this even though and, and don't let companies like jimmy john's fool you even though they're freaky fast they still make good sandwiches right so that's it, it is very very important and any company that's doing well in the market is focused on quality first it's a huge huge industry alone and just quality consulting on quality and how to how to increase efficiency and, and, and quality itself in a product. Um, and that just comes down to, I think where I would go with it, right, is, is the conversation piece. If you say to uh, a buyer, hey, that's great that you want to buy a 53-foot you know, trailer full of my pork chops, right? Awesome. I love that. I cannot scale to that in one in one month, right? I need, uh, I need three months to scale to that. I need six months to scale to that. Or if you really love the product that much and you want to help out, I mean, there's got to be a way that maybe you can help us source what we need so that we can produce the same quality product, you know, and just having an honest ethical conversation and with that buyer and saying, yes, you understand though, you love the product. Why? Because it's good quality product that adds value to your store and to your customers. So in that sense, you know, I, I don't want the quality to slip because that's what I, that's what you've identified as what you want 53 foot trailer worth of. So, right. uh, you know, and that's, and so then that, that needs to become the conversation first is let's solve for scale while saving quality. Um, rather than let's let's scale and we'll think about quality later. You know, that's, and that's kind of the, the I would imagine that industry is just as important as anything else. I think it is. And I think it gets back to what you were talking about, about leadership, because I have leadership conversations with folks yeah. and, and when you're in business, no, you don't. I mean, you have subordinates, sure. Like I have people that work for me and, you know, all my customers have people who work for them. 
but they also work for their customers. So, you know, and there's so much about making sure that you are, you are still being in service to your customer while you grow and scale and making sure your customer is getting what, uh, get not only getting what they're paying for, but getting it in a way that creates trust and credibility and connection with them. Um, Right. Uh, You should fight really hard for that. Uh, The trust and credibility piece, that is, if you are in a a service industry, if you're providing a product to a customer, to a client, you need to fight for that. I mean, that is is sacred ground that you don't want to give an inch of. Um, And if anything, you'd love to expand that more than take away from, right? So uh, if if I'm in that space where now I am working on behalf of a customer or of a client, I'm working really, really hard. I am almost as if, not almost, just as if it is my own product that I'm receiving, right? And with my own hard-earned money. And that's, I mean, that's the headspace that you got to be in uh, when you're trying to to make sure that the product gets to the customer the way that they expect to receive it. I love that. Working on behalf of the customer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because at the end of the day, they're not doing it themselves. That's why they're working with you. Right. Right. Well, right. And I think, but I think it gets, it gets so easy to get in our own heads and to get it to be, you know, like, did I get this from here to here or here? You know, like whether we're sitting at a desk, moving papers across our desk, or we're working on a computer, or we're out on a production floor, or driving a truck from here to there. Whatever it right. is that you're doing, you know, like doing it from a mindset of working on behalf of the customer and like going all in on what the customer's dream is. Yeah. Yeah. That your product is a part of. Yeah. Yeah, that's, a, that's, that's right. They, I mean, every customer story starts with a vision of what they expect to receive. And if, uh, if you, if you want to make sure the story gets a happy ending, <laughs> you know, and it's not, uh, it's not a horror story, then you need to work very, very hard uh, every step of that, that journey to make sure that it ends up the way that it, you know, they're expecting it to, to end. So, you know, think, no, one, yeah. no, one goes to, no one goes to a Disney movie, you know, and puts their kids in front of it with the expectation that it's going to be really sad at the end. Right? <laughs> it's, always, it's always sad at the beginning, right? Right. And then the hero comes in. Well, guess what? It's sad at the beginning. The customer reaches out to you. It's your turn to play the hero and make sure the end of the story is a happy one, not a sad one. So, um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, at the end of the day, it's just customer service. It's making sure that your priorities are straight as a business and you would not exist if you did not have customers and clients. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that that's, and that's what, you know, that is what leadership really truly is about is making sure that you exist to be there for your customers and your clients and your employees or your, you know, your junior enlisted, uh, you know, whomever it is that is, that is there that you are meant to serve. (laughs) Yep. You're being a servant leader, uh, which is not a new idea right this has been tossed around all over the place very you go to linkedin and just type in servant leader you'll find five billion posts so um but it it is easier to talk about than it is to put into practice and the reason for that is because it takes uh constant reminders that i'm here for others i'm here to serve those i lead you know and you kind of have to 
until it becomes second nature, until you get that muscle memory as a leader, you kind of have to continuously repeat it to yourself. And then eventually it, it'll, it'll kick in, but you should always have those reminders and those talks in the mirror. Are you aligning yourself? <laughs> you should be aligning yourself too. Your ego standing in the way. Um, right. Right now it's super easy to, to, to let our egos stand in the way. So, so let me ask you, like, as we, as we like kind of, you know, bring the conversation to a little bit sure. of a, a close here, are there any resources, you know, like you mentioned, you're getting your PhD, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. One of my favorite vet school professors went to Purdue, by the way. Uh, and yeah, <laughs> so they have a very good vet school at Purdue. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a great university. Uh, they're, they're definitely an industry leader in a lot of ways. Uh, but my favorite way that they're an industry leader, and I'll just plug the school here for a second, is they haven't had a tuition hike. They haven't had a tuition increase in nine years. Wow. And so for the second or third year in a row, it is now cheaper for a freshman to get a four-year degree from Purdue than it was for a freshman in 2012. Wow. So we talked about changing an industry. Right. Uh, you know, they are really tackling that head on and saying, you know what, the 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 academic arena has gotten out of control with its tuition increases with the mm -hmm. cost of obtaining a degree and we're not okay with that and so Purdue right. is really they've really put their money where their mouth is on that one that's crazy my undergraduate um institution it now costs as much per year as it cost me for four wow see that's the problem and they're trying to not they're trying to I, you, you talk about thought leaders, you know, they're really trying to say, hey, look, uh, you know, if we can do it, and we're a huge school, right? I mean, you talk about Purdue, uh, if you look at like engineering, right, they're one of the top engineering schools in the world. Right. Mm -hmm. So if they can do that and still offer this incredible value, why can't, why can't, uh, you know, Michigan or I'm just going to call out all the big 10 schools, right? <laughs> uh, Ohio state where you at. So, um, yeah, I think, I think Purdue and what they're doing, uh, and, and their president, it, it's really admirable in the space. And I know that he's been on several national broadcasts talking about, you know, I don't understand what, what everyone else is doing. This is not that hard. Well, that's pretty, but talk about being in service to your customer. Hmm? Right, right. Creating value, you know, right. you mm -hmm. understand that the degree is valuable uh, just as much, if not, uh, I'm not, I'm sorry, I'm taking that backwards. The degree is valuable, but leaving school with a valuable degree without a mountain of debt is even more valuable. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so after that little like sideways, yeah, but that's awesome. That's great. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's crazy awesome to hear. And, you know, yeah. because we're, you know, because the other thing is, is we're all people, right. And we're people right. worried about sending our kids to college and paying for it. I will tell yep. you that. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and so that's pretty amazing. But so, so you do have access to like this unholy level of resources because you're in a PhD program, but right. what are there resources that you have found that are really super good when it comes to, you know, maybe business mindset and leadership or servant leadership that you really like to recommend? Yes. Okay. So there are a few, um, and I'm going to 
I'm going to take a second to think about which ones I really want to recommend. Uh, there are a few that really changed my perspective. It is, uh, there's one called, sorry, I'm just looking at it right now. I just want to make sure I get the title right. So it's called The Meaning Revolution. Uh, it's by Fred Kaufman, who is a LinkedIn contributor. Uh, he's, he's a huge, uh, hugely brilliant guy when it comes to meaning and purpose and, and motivating people to find why. And so he is, uh, he has been really, really helpful. I read his book, uh, right before I decided to get out of the military. Uh, and, and I found it to be really fascinating. Another one is going to be, I'll plug a vet real quick. Uh, but Jocka Willink wrote uh, The Dichotomy of Leadership. And a lot of people know him for uh, extreme ownership. Uh, however, he wrote Dichotomy of Leadership, which is based on chapter 11 or 12 of the Extreme Ownership um, book. And he wrote it because he felt this need to course correct people that were reading Extreme Ownership and not paying attention to the dichotomies of of the principles that he, he was trying to convey through his military leadership experience in the SEAL teams. Um, and that is, it takes balance. You need a balance of, of approach. You can't go too hardcore or too soft, right? You have to be somewhere in the middle when it comes to your stance on, you know, uh, discipline and how to follow up on disciplinary things or when it comes to, how to manage uh, you know, a team of 40 people that are struggling to meet objectives. How do you, how do you balance your approach to that uh, so that it fits uh, correctly, right? There's gonna be this, if you go to, I guess what he's saying is if you go too far in any direction, it's a bad thing, right? So uh, those two books, and then uh, you know, I read uh, Radical Candor, um, I believe it's Michelle Scott. Uh, she was a, um, yeah, she worked for a bunch of the big tech companies. Um, Kim Scott, not Michelle, Kim Scott. Um, and she, she just talks about some of the best lessons she learned uh, revolved around this idea that you have to be completely truthful and honest, forthright, and uh, finding a way to do that and not sugarcoat things, but also not come across as a jerk. <laughs> uh, is a delicate balance, right? But it's it's one that will pay dividends when you, uh, you know, when you look at the results of those that you lead, because or those that lead you, right? Because you were honest and transparent in your communication to the point where it left nothing to to guess or chance. Um, they understood exactly where you stood on a topic, uh, but you also didn't come across as someone who is difficult, unapproachable, um, or, or on the, if we're talking about dichotomies, right, or on the other end of that is apathetic or uh, laissez-faire. So it's, it was, it's a really good book in that sense that it kind of helps you dial in your, your truth, you know, as far as how you convey what you want. That's amazing. I love that. I'm going to go check. I haven't heard. It's it, it's not very often I do this. I'm a very well-read person. I'm not going to lie. Um, that uh, Radical Candor I have heard of, but the other two I have not. Yes. And so I am totally going to go check those out. I'm so excited. I They're great books. The Meaning Revolution was really, really good. Uh, and I you know I read a lot as well. Um, I 
and if I'm not reading, I do, uh, you know, for exercise, I do like rucking. So I'll go for <laughs> three hours, I'll be out, four hours, I'll be out and get, you know, 15, 16 mile ruck in on a weekend, uh, which is military speed for hiking with a backpack full of stuff <laughs> that's really heavy. Um, most of and, us stop doing that after we leave. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I, I miss it. it. It keeps me, it keeps me close to, to the tribe that I feel far from sometimes, but uh, I can put on a book and really listen to and, and, and kind of gain some nuggets of wisdom. Or if it's like a book that I've already read, uh, then I can go back and listen and maybe catch some things that I missed before. Uh, so it's, it's always a good way to, to do that as well. Uh, excuse me, that is pretty awesome. I love it. Okay, so tell us how, um, if people are more interested in the leadership conversation sure. and getting in touch with you, like, uh, tell us all the details of where you are and how, uh, how my listeners might be able to get in touch with you. Absolutely. So I am uh, Matt Cuchera, right? Uh, it's my name, but at VetPivot on all social platforms is the best way to get in touch with me. Uh, that's V-E-T-P-I-O. P-I-V-O-T, geez, I can't even spell, uh, Vet Pivot, and uh, go to ownyourpivot.com forward slash welcome. Uh, there's a little landing page that I created so that it can better funnel people to the areas that are going to serve them best in the Vet Pivot world, um, you know, and, and kind of help curate that experience for you. Or you can just listen to the Vet Pivot podcast, which is on all major platforms, uh, most frequently people will go to iTunes or Spotify, but we are everywhere. Right. Excellent. And I love the podcast. So thank awesome. you very much. Yeah. It's, it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> it's, it's grown quite a bit, but it's, it's a passion project of mine and it's helped a lot of veterans out, which I am you know, thrilled uh, right. that it's right. been able to do that. Yeah, no, that's a, it's a blessing in our lives to be able to help out veterans in the varying yes. ways that we do. It's yes, really good. 100%. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much for being yes. on the podcast. It's been wonderful to have you here. I look forward to staying connected on LinkedIn. Yes. And we will talk soon, I'm sure. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Okay. Bye. Thank you for tuning into our podcast. Be sure to join us in the Proofing Box, a private Facebook page for food producers filled with valuable information and technical tips. Grow your business by learning from people just like you, all under the guidance of a food safety expert.